Welcome market participants to another three things in credit. I'm Van Hesser, Chief Strategist at KBRA. Each week we bring you three things impacting credit markets that we think you should know about. I hear a lot of talk about six is the new five, as in the Fed's upper bound terminal rate. Just for sport, I checked to see how many forecasters in Bloomberg's survey of economists are at 6% for Q4 2023. That would be exactly one out of 65. The median, five and a quarter percent. This week, our three things are one, private credit. What's behind the growth? Two, consumer expectations. Just how meaningful are they? And three, housing latest in this all-important leading indicator. All right, let's dig a bit deeper. Private credit. We hosted an event this week for members of the financial media on the topic of private credit. As thought leaders in this space, we've developed unique insight in this emerging pillar of the financial system. KBRA is the market leader in rating private credit and direct lending funds, as well as their lending facilities. We rate more business development companies and asset managers than any other rating agency and are a leader in rating middle market CLOs. Supporting all of this is assessments or ratings on thousands of underlying assets. We made the point, not always well understood in our opinion, that the growth in private credit is a structural improvement to the financial system. Here's our thinking. One of the most significant reasons why the GFC occurred was the fact that risky assets were allowed to build up and concentrate in a dozen or so global banks. These banks were subject to safety and soundness judgments by regulators and wholesale funding markets. In times of stress, those relationships turned adversarial and strained, leading to asset value degradation and funding stress. A doom loop developed at the banks, which then triggered, in turn, credit crunch across the broader economy that took years to recover from. A cyclical downturn descended into full-blown crisis. Post-crisis, policymakers' response was to de-risk the banks, to disincentivize highly risky lending such as loans to highly levered corporates and commercial real estate development. The idea was to push riskier lending into the capital markets, thereby preserving banks' ability to be a source of strength to the economy in times of stress, rather than a source of credit crunch. Part of the solution, not part of the problem. The benefit of pushing risk broadly into the capital markets is that risk is diffused, spread across a global investor base. That's a big plus in terms of laying in a more effective shock absorber as markets and cycles turn. Now, we still see riskier public markets tighten up at times as uncertainty rises. We saw this from time to time in 2022 as broadly syndicated leverage loan and high-yield bond markets at times went little to no bid. Enter private credit. At its best, private credit provides long-term, locked-up, match-funded credit to riskier borrowers. Accordingly, private credit has greater ability to work with borrowers in times of stress lessening the likelihood of broader market disruption. That makes private credit an improvement over more volatile bank or public market sources of credit. It's also worth dispelling the notion that the growth in private credit has forced excess borrowing or leverage into the economy. Understanding where the growth has come from tells you that this is more of a redistribution of riskier credit rather than a more worrisome development of adding to the overall commercial leverage. Now, this is not to say that the turn in the credit cycle and the end of ultra-low rates engineered by central banks since the GFC 
will not impact lenders into riskier market segments. That shoe is yet to drop. But we see that redistribution of riskier credit into private credit in particular as a structural improvement to the financial system. All right, on to our second thing, digging into the latest consumer sentiment survey. Now, we always pay close attention to consumer sentiment surveys, given the importance of that to the overall economy. We've paid particularly close attention to these surveys through the pandemic era, in large part because of the tension between the disruption to everyday life on one hand and the benefits of federal support on the other. Of the two bellwether surveys, the Conference Board survey places a greater emphasis on the employment situation, while the University of Michigan survey tends to emphasize perceptions of one's own financial condition as well as business conditions. How the two have diverged gets at these differences. Michigan's current economic conditions reading hit its lowest point ever June 30th, 2022, largely on inflation fears, before bouncing back modestly ever since. But it remains at levels seen only in the GFC and Jimmy Carter's malaise speech eras. Alternatively, the conference board's consumer confidence result has been a bit better than its long-term average and much better than where it sunk to in the GFC, reflecting its jobs bias. But what we found interesting is when you subtract the conference board's current conditions from its expectations components. That outcome is typically plunged ahead of a recession. Throughout the pandemic period, from the end of the short but sharp COVID recession in 2020 to the most recent reading today, that differential has grown. And since 1980, a drop of this magnitude has ended in recession every time. Intuitively, this makes sense with outcomes, recessions, driven largely by falling consumer expectations. And even though we are always careful when tempted to say this time is different, challenging Sir John Templeton's four most dangerous words in investing, we do believe this time is different given the epic distortions brought about by the pandemic and its relief programs. But in this instance, Sir John's warning strikes us as right. In terms of how consumer survey expectations trend, this time might not be different. The headwind facing the almighty consumer and his or her spending continues to mount. Those long and variable lags the Fed talks about have only begun to hit. Further slowdown, we think, is coming. All right, on to our third thing, housing. Exhibit one for us rebutting the no landing scenario is housing. The sector typically represents 15 to 18% of the country's economic output via residential development and imputed rents and utility payments. And that's just direct contribution. The ripple effect, including spending on home furnishings and improvement and services, brings that figure significantly higher. And let's not forget housing's value to the economy, as it is consumers' largest store of value. Fluctuating home values are an important driver of consumer sentiment and ultimately spending, either directly through access to home equity loans or indirectly through wealth effect. It's a big deal. We also pay a lot of attention to housing because, unlike retail sales or employment, it is a leading indicator. The process of permitting and constructing is, by definition, creating value in the future. Changes in home values, real or perceived, affect spending in the future. There is no doubt that the run-up in home values in the pandemic period was instrumental in the Fed's decision to not just tighten monetary conditions, but to deploy shock and awe. 
And while market participants continue to debate just how tight financial conditions are, make no mistake about it, the spike in rates has had and continues to have a dramatic impact on housing. Over the past 12 months, building permits, where the process begins, has been down year over year in eight of those months. The latest figure was down 27% from the year ago number. Same story, same figures for starts. So have we turned the corner? Well, the National Association of Home Builders Market Index has bounced a bit off the recent bottom in February, but at 42, it remains on the wrong side of the conditions good, conditions poor, dividing line at 50. A year ago, it was 81. A year ago, 30-year mortgage rates were 4.2%. Today, we've crossed over 7%. Here's the view from the NAHB. Even though new home sales edged higher in January, the recent uptick in mortgage rates would imply continued weakness in the coming months. There's not a lot of debate about the type of landing we've seen in housing. And that forward view, that leading indicator, needs to be factored into your forward view. So there you have it. Three things in credit. One, private credit. Growth in the market represents a structural improvement to financing markets. Two, consumer expectations. Don't fight the surveys. And three, housing. Tighter financial conditions continue to slow activity and confidence. As always, thanks for joining us. Don't forget to check in on KBRA.com for our latest research and ratings reports. And for all of our work on private credit, check out our private credit landing page on the website. See you next week. Hello, listeners. Join me, Van Hesser, KBRA's chief strategist for in-depth conversations with credit experts in my new monthly podcast, Leading Voices in Credit, where I'll interview market professionals on the latest trends in credit markets. That's Leading Voices in Credit with Van Hesser. Subscribe now.